Claiborne Love Radio on a sunny Saturday here in the Mission. Hope you had a good week and good work. Today, a celebration of the life and work of Cesar Estrada Chavez and all the people of the UFW. De colores se visten los campos en la primavera. De colores, de colores son los pajaritos que vienen de afuera.
something else. Miss Bonnie, come on now. This is very special to have you here with me. And we're going to do one more for you. And then I may get some of these guests out here to rock a little bit with me.
Good morning, mutineers. Welcome to Mutiny Radio's Labor and Love Radio program. I'm the B. I'm your host on this show, wishing you always good labor and good love. We're here to remind you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. We're here to let you know that if you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. They're carving up your life. And you got no input. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Okay, so we just played our opening set there, and we ended with Bonnie Raitt and Nora Jones and the Tennessee Waltz, which I played for no good reason except that I love their rendition of it. And I was looking up... uh, minimum wage laws in different states. Tennessee is one of the very lowest. Seven and a quarter an hour in Tennessee, which is the same as the uh, federal minimum wage. So they haven't really gone beyond that. Uh, And then before that, we had De Colores, the song of our featured person today, Cesar Chavez and the UFW, De Colores, by, uh, that was Los Lobos? Not sure, I'll check that out. And then the West End Blues, a perfect song to play on Saturday morning, on a nice sunny Saturday morning, a peaceful day, the West End Blues, by the great Louis Armstrong. So what do we got for you today? Well, we've got an interview with Cesar Chavez, angry after one of his uh, colleagues, one of the workers who was picketing, was murdered. We've got Chavez talking about the power of consumer boycotts, how they work and why they work. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. As indicated, we've got Radio Labor. There they were. They're trying to trying to butt in there and get in early. Radio Labor, our World Labor Report. Then Labor Notes reports about Macy's workers who won sick days by fighting back fashionably. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. Then we've got the Labor Beat including stories about Uber drivers, teacher strikes, Rand Paul himself, a national right-to-work bill. He wants it, the whole nation, the workers of the whole nation to be virtual slaves on the job. What happened to the Sears worker who worked for 44 years? What happened to his pension? 
How has the U.S. government been wasting money, billions, on charter schools? And a very nice rendition of why reparations should be part of the national conversation by Trevor Noah absolutely nails it. But let's get a few things out of the way first. Our credo here on this show. Let's see. You know, in any conversation, in any group, there's someone who always says, I'm just not that into politics, you know. I, I don't really know much about it. I don't follow that stuff. I want to live my own life, right? And it's so depressing, you know, to keep... Well, this is from DSA Los Angeles. So you're just not that into politics. Imagine that. You're just not that into politics. Okay. You know your boss is... Don't you? You know your boss is into politics. Your landlord is into politics. And your insurance company is into politics. Okay? They'd love for you not to be into politics because every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. And that's the skinny on that. Okay. You're just not in, that into politics? They love that. That's wonderful. Here's another one. This one is about immigration. The, the quote-unquote immigration problem. What's the problem? Okay. The problem is... Uh, the white race is getting nervous. The capitalists are getting nervous. People are coming into this country. We can't have that. We've always been raised to believe just the opposite, that we welcome people. The Statue of Liberty says that. We welcome people into this country, especially when they represent cheap labor. Okay, but now the racists have taken over. America's deep-seated racism. And Mr. Trump and his ilk are using that racism that they know is there because they have it as well to keep themselves in power. This is from a guy named Jesse Mimmer. Jesse, maybe a woman. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals bullshit, is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. 
Instead of realizing the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price stagnation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. Mr. Trump depends on this, on one portion of the working class pitted against another. Keep them fighting. The native workers and the immigrant workers, the men and the women, the low-paid workers against one another. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Something like Reaganomics boiled down to the fact that uh, your boss would get to keep more of the money. He's already keeping some of your money in the form of profits. But under Reaganomics, we were supposed to give more of our money as workers in the hope that, what, it would trickle down back to us? Something good would happen if we trusted rich people to take our money and, and take care of us? No, come on. The people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Those are our credos on this show. And uh, what else have we got? The Winnipeg general strike, 100th anniversary of a big general strike in Winnipeg. What's happening in Uber and Lyft? Why did Uber drivers and Lyft drivers go on strike this week for one day? We're going to find it out. Let's listen to a little bit of Cesar Chavez. Chavez cumpleaños el 30 de marzo. Nació el 1927, creo, sí. This is Chavez's birthday. He was born in 1927. And Chavez was uh, born in Arizona. People used to say that he was an alien or that he should go back from where he came. <laughs> He's from Arizona, grew up on a, a farm in... Uh, Arizona outside of Yuma, Arizona. And uh, had a big effect on his work, had a big effect on farm labor politics and economics. Historically in California, farm labor is the big problem because you need a whole lot of skilled workers don't let's don't let's ignore the fact that farm labor is skilled work skilled work stuff has to be stuff has to be picked on time or else it gets ruined it dies it's uh and so 
farmers, the owners, need people to come and do the work and then leave, stay for a while, then leave. And then the next farm, the next crop is is ready to be picked and uh, so on and so forth. This is the story, this is how it happens. So these workers have always been treated very poorly um, and discouraged from joining together and organizing to better their lot. And the way, the way it's been done is that uh, the owners hire, would hire Chinese, for example, or Filipinos, or in times of severe depression, they'd hire a lot of white workers. Remember John Steinbeck's uh, Grapes of Wrath. And the workers would come and work, live in camps with uh, usually, you know, very poor conditions, uh, sick conditions that made people sick. Let's hear Cesar Chavez talk now. This is about the power of boycotts. Accepted. My experience, voting doesn't really help the poor people. The people who really need help from the poor, they don't get help from, the, from their vote. Now I'm not saying they shouldn't vote. I still vote. But look at it, really look at it. Most things that are done through legislatures are concerned about the vast majority of people which happen to the middle class and higher. Oh, there's a lot of talk, but really solutions don't come there. And we learn that we continue to vote and get people to vote, but really, really, there's another place we can vote and be extremely successful, and that's the marketplace. You see, one of the great issues in our country is that the Americans, the American public, you and I included, we want things fast. We want things to happen without too much work. That's why instant coffee is so popular. And it doesn't work that way. In real life, it doesn't work that way. Meaningful change takes a lot of struggle, a lot of time, a lot of dedication. That's what happens. Look at the struggles that really mean, have really done something in this, in this world. Look how long it takes them. It doesn't happen by rhetoric, especially through rhetoric. It doesn't happen. It happens when people get out there, roll up their sleeves, and actually get the work done. And so, we said, why go to the politicians? Why not, why not go directly and go to the marketplace where you can put direct pressure on those corporations that can find a solution for you? That, we recommend that. And we, long, we live long enough to know that it works. You see, we hear that, the old cliche that politics makes strange bedfellows. Boycotts make stranger bedfellows still. Because we live in a very capitalistic society, 
Because of that, the boycotts are even better to work. It's easier to work here. Do we start boycotting grapes? The brokers are constantly trying to get the growers to let them buy the grapes on consignment. Ship them to me when they get to Boston, to New York. I'll pay you the growing rate and I'll pay you 60 or 90 days later. And the growers said, no, I want it for me. Pay me. If I ship you a car lot, pay me right now. And that argument is going all the time. The brokers don't really want us. They don't like us. When we start boycotting, they're very quickly to use the boycott as a leverage against the growers to get the growers to sell them the grapes and consignment because they'll make more money. And when that happens, the growers have lost something and that's happening already because of a boycott. We've been at growers' offices when they get a call from, from a buyer in New York and he tells the grower, oh, I cannot, I can't buy your grapes, I can't pay a penny from their own sale. These farm workers are picketing everywhere in New York. They've got thousands of pickets. We had about 40 pickets to tell the grower, we can't buy the grapes. That's how it works. Because at the other end, the supermarkets want to get the grapes as cheap as they can to sell them. The brokers do too. And we don't mind at that point that they get them as cheap as they can because they'll help us. And you see also the consumers buy fruits in this order. Bananas first, apples second, oranges third, and grapes fourth. And they're all interrelated. Look at what happens when the price of grapes go down because of the boycott. Bananas and apples and oranges also come down because they don't want to lose the customers. And so the growers, after the boycott starts and the growers begins to lower the, the grocery store lowers the price of grapes because they're getting grapes cheaper as a lead. It doesn't last long because then the bananas come and the grapes and the oranges and the apples, they also want their prices down because they don't want to lose the customers to cheap grapes. And it works. It's not a very scientific fact. This is how, this is how things work. And so we can learn a lot from Dr. King and from Gandhi. You know, when, when, the, when the bus boycott, there was no way in the world that those blacks could have ever won it politically. They couldn't. Politically, they didn't have any power. And they came up with the idea of the boycott. And the boycott began to work. The boycott is tremendous, tremendous leverage. The boycott is an idea, it's not a picket line, but it's an idea that spreads. Pardon the expression, it spreads through the grapevine. But it does spread, we don't know how it happens. The definitive study of a boycott has never been made. And we're waiting for somebody in one year like you to come and do the definitive study, find exactly what happens in a boycott. We've been boycotting for 29 years and we know from experience we can tell when boycotts are working, what stage, those things, but only from intuition, only from experience, but not really because of facts. The boycotts are Gandhi's boycotts. Some were tremendous boycotts. Some were strokes of geniuses. And they the whole country without war. We just missed it because people were, there wasn't a shooting war, so that's not important. 
social reflect on those instances when things were done without a shooting war. Those are important things to reflect on, understand, and appreciate, and try to replicate. The other thing podcast is that it saves you the consumer money. The important thing is, you see, we've been around, we travel more extensively than any presidential candidate in this country. We've been doing it for 42 years. They only do it for four, for two seasons at the most, right? We've gone up and down, this up and down, everywhere. And we think we have a good idea of the American consumer. We know that the American consumer wants fairness. We know that. Whatever they say, whatever they do, yet in their heart, they want to be fair. We want to be fair in this country. That's kind of the idea. But we also want to be told what to do because you see, in most cases, we're never told what to do. It's very difficult to come and join a struggle because there's no clear-cut, immediate thing you can do. In our case, we learned that. It will make it very simple for you. Just boycott anything that's like great. You don't have to go to meetings, to rallies, even spend money, even take, even not miss a step from your, your, your schedule and still be helpful. Isn't that great? That's how it works. And, it, and then be patient because it works. And we got these guys in the run. It's going to work again. It's worked for us many times. We beat them twice and we'll beat them again the third time because now we have three generations of great workouters in the United States. Boycotting Grace is now American. Okay, that was Cesar Chavez speaking, I believe, in Arizona in the 80s, 90s. Uh, outlining the whole idea of a boycott, the idea of a boycott. The name comes from uh, an Irish uh, person, I guess maybe an English guy in Ireland who was a captain, Captain Boycott, who was especially uh, oppressive and murderous and violent towards his Irish workers. And the workers decided that they would boycott. They would not buy things from this man. They all got together and decided not to shop or get things from him. And uh, the story goes that uh, he had to change his ways. People weren't buying anything from him. He was going broke. So that's Captain Boycott. Chavez got into kind of the leverage part of it, how the whole market works. In other words, you're striking grapes, but it has an effect on a lot of other crops as well. Right, so Cesar Chavez exclaim, explains boycotts. And let's play some... Uh, some music here to go with it. Cesar Chavez. Um, family moved to California in the 30s at a time when a lot of the nation was on the move, headed for the West Coast. <coughs> a lot of white 
farmers had lost their their land to uh, dust, the drought, and uh, their farms had literally just uh, blown away. So they came uh, west to California where they were met by uh, police. Los Angeles actually sent police officers to the California border to turn people around. And uh, Chavez and his family came here. They, instead of now being farm owners, they were farm workers. And they did the... Uh, Corrida. The corrida is the cycle of of uh, farm work in one area of the uh, of the state. One crop might be ready, then another, then another. So these people are migrant laborers. They travel around, and uh, they lived in really bad conditions as. Uh, might well know. Let's play some music on this. This is Lalo Guerrero, a, a renowned uh, musician, Mexican singer, Mexican-American singer, Corrido de Deleno, where the movement started.
16 de marzo, jueves santo en la mañana, salió César de Veleno componiendo una campaña. Compañeros campesinos, esto va a ser un ejemplo, esta marcha la llevamos hasta mero sacramento. Llegamos a Fresno, toda la gente gritaba Y que viva César Chávez y la gente que llevaba Nos despedimos de Fresno nos despedimos con fe para llegar muy contentos hasta el pueblo de Merced. Ya vamos llegando a Stockton, ya mero la luz se fue, pero mi gente gritaba, sigan con bastante fe. Cuando llegamos a Stockton, los mariachis nos cantaban y que viva César Chávez y la Virgen que llevaba. Y esquiroles, esto va a ser una historia. Ustedes van al invierno y nosotros a la gloria. Oiga, señor César Chávez, un nombre que se pronuncia. En su pecho usted merece la Virgen de Guadalupe. Un 16 de marzo. Jueves santo en la mañana, salió César de Veleno componiendo una campaña. Compañeros campesinos, esto va a ser un ejemplo, esta marcha la llevamos hasta mero sacramento.
Celebrating Cesar Chavez, we had um, Corrido del Deleno, de Deleno. Corrido is a typical uh, story, ballad form, ballad-like, sometimes celebrating a person or an event. In this case, Cesar Chavez's decision uh, taken in Deleno, California, to form a union, a union of farm workers. Then we had Corrido de Cesar Chavez by the master musician Lalo Guerrero and Los Perros del Pueblo Nuevo. And finally, uh, Los Lobos with Guantanamera, which is about uh, Cuba and the Cuban Revolution, but part of the general feeling at the time, the feeling that the old ways were not working, that we were stuck in patterns that impoverished huge groups of people, and we're still there now. In fact, it's probably even worse. This wasn't the first time that anyone had tried to unionize farm workers. In 1903, a union of Japanese and uh, Mexican farm workers in a town called Oxnard went on strike because uh, the native, the um, contractors that they were used to working with were canceled and uh, the company wanted to save money. Workers went on strike uh, to have for better wages as well and w actually won the strike. The uh, sugar beet industry around uh, Oxnard was paralyzed and the workers won. 
In the 30s, there was a huge, uh, in 1913, let's go there first, town called Wheatland in, uh, in Northern California, around Sacramento. Uh, when the IWW sent organizers to uh, Wheatland, families were living in substandard conditions. People were sick because there was no uh, sanitation at all. And uh, the owner had jobs for some 700 people, but he had uh, recruited so that 2,000 people showed up. And for the owner, that was great. His, his name was Durst. And he loved that idea, the free market. Okay, when there's an excess of workers, you can lower your wages because they'll all be willing to work for those scarce jobs. Anyway, there was a gun battle. Members of the IWW were there, uh, one of them raised a little baby up in the air and it said, it's for the kids we're doing this. And uh, deputies arrived. Durst, instead of talking to the strike committee, deputies arrived. Somebody shot a gun. People were killed. And of course it was called a labor riot. Um, people were arrested uh, who weren't even there. Two IWW organizers. Herman Sewer and uh, Blackie Ford were arrested and tortured until they confessed. Uh, in the 30s, there was a huge cotton strike in and around to Larry County and all up and down the state. 20,000 cotton workers went on strike. Uh, the farmers in a town called Pixley, responded by breaking up a strike meeting with guns and shooting, killing two of the strikers, wounding several others. No one was ever arrested or charged with the crime. The, uh, a judge ruled that the workers had to go back to work. The judge normally sides with the owners but it showed the immense power of organizing what could happen. Skip ahead to the 1940s now, 1948 exactly, and a strike against the DiGiorgio Com Company, which was a giant at the time, giant corporation. They had... Uh, hired workers and kept them separated by race, uh, terrible working conditions. Uh, workers went on strike with the support of a lot of Hollywood unions, a lot of unions from around the state. They produced a movie called Poverty in the Land of Plenty, which is virtually impossible to get a hold of now because a judge ruled that it was prejudicial. If you see it, it's not prejudicial. It, it tells what tells what was happening from the view, of course, from the worker's point of view. Well, the judge ruled that that was uh, not okay. 
that it was prejudiced against the Union. He ordered them to destroy all copies of that movie. Poverty in the Land of Plenty. And so uh, this, these conditions uh, from time to time, people like Edward R. Murrow, for example, on his show, See It Now, one of, the, one of his shows featured uh, farm workers and uh, talked about how farm workers' lives were and decrying the fact that here are the people who pick our food, who put food on the table, right? Harvest of shame, it was called, and it did raise some attention. But along came Cesar Chavez. We're talking early 60s now. He had, he had seen a union in action. He was a union member on a farm that uh, did not go on strike. But he watched, he saw what was going on. He saw how the wind blows. And he decided that he was going to organize, someday if he could, organize a union of farm workers. Um, and he did. The UFW, under a different name, but UFW was born and um, in 1965, uh, Filipino workers led by a man named Larry Itliong, and we're going to have a, a feature about Larry Itliong and the Filipino leaders of the UFW and So, Chavez started this union. They went on strike. There were gun battles. Here's Chavez talking about one of the strikers who was killed. strike here in uh, Delano are appalled at the shooting of Marcelino Barajas and Paul Salgado. We, we've known now for over 10 years that the strike breakers and the growers are armed. We communicated this to Sheriff Wiley. There's been now, this is the eighth incident, incident where we have had shootings at us. Last week, five days ago, another striker was uh, wounded when uh, a strike breaker or a grower, we don't know who, from inside the fields fired through the rear window of the car and, and injured him in the back. We charge that the arming of the strike breakers and the growers is with the consent and with the knowledge and with the encouragement of Sheriff Wiley. They have known that, that the men are armed inside the fields and they have done absolutely nothing to try to uh, correct the situation and take the guns and the rifles away from them. 
We had a number of men jailed and beaten, and we cannot get the sheriff to tell us the whereabouts of their names. We estimate about 20 people were, were arrested at the Masekian Ranch a while ago when these men were beaten, and they will not tell us the whereabouts of the, of the people who are beaten, how seriously they are, or they will not tell us how many people are in jail or which, in which jail they, in jail they are. We want the Sheriff's Department investigated. We want to know why uh, the Sheriff the refuses to to go into the fields and take the arms away from those men. We also want to know why the sheriff is making a special point of uh, these, uh, these raids and these beatings on our picket lines. Brother Juan Cervantes, Cervantes, a 19-year-old picket captain, was threatened, was told by one of the, uh, one of the uh, sheriff's uh, deputies in that, in that goon squad, was told that we're going to kill you, son of a bitch. We know where you live and we've got your license plates. And several of the picket captains have, have received that kind of treatment from this outlaw cops. And we want that stop, and it's got to be stopped immediately. Uh, you have made accusations about the sheriff's department uh, defaming your people and uh, call it, call calling us names. Greasers, calling us greasers, dirty Mexican greasers, calling us uh, spicks. And it's really uncalled for. I wonder where these men are. We'd like to know if these men are on the payroll of the county or where they're being financed through, through Sheriff Wiley and through the growers' uh, uh, funds. We want to know if the growers are financing that kind of operation. What, what I you want to, you're, not, you're not a newsman. You're not a if newsman. If I ask you a challenging you're not, question, I told you, I told you, and I said, you give me the names. We're negotiating good faith. Don't put that in my face. Go ahead. I'm upset at you. Well, I, I, I expect more professionalism from, from reporters. Sir, I just asked you a question. I, I, need, I expect more professionalism from reporters. Ask a question. He's, he's okay, talking well, to me. Why don't you be quiet? No, we want legislation that truly be helpful to us, but we're not going to give our right to strike and boycott. Never. We can't. That was Cesar Chavez around 1977, I believe, uh, visibly upset at the uh, the way the newsman was uh, approaching him and uh, the story that the newsman was, the way he was doing it. Um... All right, let's get on. Let's play some music. Um, place a little more of Chavez talking. We have some... Uh, okay, so 1962, the union is formed uh, with Chavez, who went all around the state in his car, talked to people in small groups about organizing a farm workers union. Uh, he had the help of Dolores Huerta, someone else who was very interested in forming a farm workers union, a woman who had worked as a teacher and seen how the children of farm workers came to school. 
and how they were made fun of by the other students. A lot of times uh, not allowed to speak Spanish. It was common for Spanish-speaking kids to be punished for speaking their language. This Cancion Mixteca, I want to play Lila Downs. This is the beautiful song of the Mexican who is outside of his country or her country. Cancion Mixteca. Qué lejos estoy del suelo donde he nacido. Far I am Inmensa from nostalgia invade mi pensamiento. Y al verme tan sola y triste, cual hoja al viento, quisiera llorar, quisiera morir de sentimiento. performing Tito Puente. Yes, Carlos Santana will be performing this week at the celebration of Dolores Huerta's 80th birthday. The legendary activist Dolores Huerta, who co-founded the United Farm Workers of America with Cesar Chavez, celebrating 80 years, a veteran of the labor, civil rights, immigrant rights, and feminist movements in the country. 
Dolores Huerta was instrumental in passing the seasonal agricultural workers bill, which resulted in the legalization of 1.3 million farm workers as part of the Immigration Reform Act of 1986. Well, to celebrate her 80th birthday, this lifelong activist is holding a benefit concert at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles Friday night titled Weaving Movements Together. As the name suggests, the event aims to bring together immigrant rights, LGBT, feminist, environmental and labor activists. Dolores Huerta is joining us now from Los Angeles. We welcome you and happy birthday, Dolores Huerta. Thank you, Amy. Can you talk about what you consider your greatest achievement? Uh, well, uh, I think you mentioned the uh, legalization bill of 1986, which really uh, helped a lot of people get the legal status, as has, as you know, every immigrant that's come to this country has acquired legal status at one time or the other. Uh, then, of course, I think uh, many, many uh, pieces of legislation, uh, getting the ballots in the Spanish language for people to vote, uh, taking away citizenship requirements so that people could get public assistance, uh, and on and on, you know, uh, forming the Farmer Union with Cesar Chavez, and now uh, forming my own organization, the Dolores Huerta Foundation for Community Organizing. And uh, when we look back and see how many people have been organized, how many, uh, you know, we've built a volunteer base and uh, laws that have been passed, and, you know, but this is the kind of work that I want to continue continue to do uh, for the rest of whatever life I have left, and this is why I started this foundation. And I want to mention this whole idea of, of bringing movements together is important because it seems like each one of our movements has a different path. You know, we have our Greens over here, Labor over here, the Feminists, the LGBT movement. And I believe that in order to really get the progressive agenda that we are all looking for and searching for, that we've got to come together and, and, and you know, kind of unite our forces. Uh, we are, uh, you know, we are the majority in, in this country, uh, but if we don't come together, uh, well, then we're not going to be able to win our progressive agenda. Dolores Huerta, go back in time, go back to the early 1960s, and talk about how you got involved with the farm workers movement and helped found the United Farm Workers. What were the conditions then? Where did you come from? Well, actually, I had a very um, comfortable life, I sort of a middle-class background, but after joining uh, an organization called the Community Service Organization, and this is where I met Cesar, uh, then uh, we saw the conditions of the farm workers uh, that were so desperate at that point in time that then uh, that's when we started the United Farm Workers uh, of America. And, um, you know, we worked together for many years until Cesar passed away. Uh, I left the union about six years ago. Um, and things for the farm workers, you know, are somewhat better in California, although many, most of the farm workers right now are not covered by union contracts. And in uh, other states, of course, things are even worse because many farm workers, they don't have unemployment insurance. Um, they have a very poor workers' compensation if they have any at all. And uh, uh, they don't have disability insurance. Uh, we were able to get the laws passed that gave all farm workers uh, uh, cold drinking water and, and uh, toilets in the fields, uh, rest periods, uh, things of that nature. But uh, there's still a long way to go for the farm workers. But uh, with my organization, actually, we go into the communities and we organize our immigrant population primarily. But this, of course, could apply to anyone. And we uh, basically raise money to hire and train organizers. Uh, then when the people come together, then uh, they can make a lot of changes and and some of the changes are absolutely miraculous we uh, some of our people have been able to get swimming pools and in, uh, in in their com uh, communities we have one committee that actually had a gymnasium built uh, at their middle school uh, you know we've, we've got one another committee that's getting
having uh, a, a sewer drain for 27 homes that didn't have any kind of a sewer drain. And we have a youth group. We're doing uh, teen pregnancy prevention programs, financial literacy. The first micro lending program for farm workers in the Central Valley of California. And the great thing about this is that the, the people are doing this themselves. On the census, we knocked on 3,000 doors in one day. And then, of course, we had to do a lot of pressure on our Blue Dog uh, uh, Congress people to get them to vote for the health care bill uh, that we were trying to get passed uh, recently. Dolores Huerta, so many of the people you work with are immigrants, and the battle over immigration reform, immigrants in this country, is raging. Um, just some figures uh, uh, on the number of deportations, according to figures from the Immigration Enforcement Agency, ICE. The Obama administration accelerated the pace of deportations overall. In 2009, authorities deported close to 390,000 people, uh, which was 20,000 more than in 2008, the final year of the Bush administration. Your comments? Well, uh, we know that uh, this is uh, the big issue in the Latino community, I guess the number one issue at this point in time, and that it really means that we've really got to push to get immigration reform. Uh, um, unfortunately, I mean, you, you, I heard your report about the elections, and we still have a very large anti-immigrant caucus uh, in, in the U.S. Congress, and, uh, you know, we've got to focus on, on these Congress people and on the elections and take some of these people out of office. In California, we have the head of the anti-immigrant caucus, a Congress run a Republican named Bill Bray. And uh, these, these are the people that we've got to get out, and we've got to get good people elected. And my fear is that so many people are so disillusioned uh, with, uh, with what's going on right now that they're not going to vote in November. And I think that's going to be just a huge... You know these people walking around here talking about... The woman on the left of them, all that kind of okay and on. I don't see why that woman has to leave them. Mine's ain't left me yet. But I don't know how soon. Cause I keep that woman in my mind, just as fat and healthy as she can be. She will do. You know, because I raise hogs, chickens, and cows, and everything. And she better not act like she's hungry. Not as a cow did. And if she want a choke, I go out there and catch one of them chokes. And she have pork chops all the week. She will. And every time she get hungry, she get evil. You can't blame the girl, because she's a country girl. Now my baby's a country girl And she just can't help herself Yes, my baby's a country girl And she just can't
Kind of like uh, what we used to call a mixed bag. We had uh, Hungry Country Girl. I played it because I'm a blues guy. And that song goes out to Sylvia Ramirez of 
El Centro, California, if she wants it. <laughs> Before that, Dolores Huerta, uh, one of the organizers of the UFW and a woman who, uh, often at the risk of her own life, walked the picket lines, did negotiations, did a lot of the uh, heavy lifting of the UFW, along, of course, with thousands of other people. Um, we have a tendency, I have a tendency, we have a tendency as uh, Americans to take a story and personalize it, make it make it about one person, forgetting all the thousands of people who supported that movement, both financially, but also with their sweat, and who often worked at risk of their lives. Witness that interview Chabot was having with the uh, pushy newsman. All right, well, all around the world, working people are getting together. Let's hear about it on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, March 29th, 2019. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the week, U.S. Labor wants Mexican auto workers to be paid more than $2 an hour. Unions are helping refugees in Lebanese camps. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing... It's fun to be in love. This is Radio Labor. In the United States, the labor movement is working to stall a vote on the trade agreement which has been negotiated to replace the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. The new agreement, called the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or USMCA, was finalized in November 2018. But it has to be approved by the U.S. Congress. The agreement is important because it affects millions of jobs in the three countries. A sticking point is whether Mexico will act to ensure that it will enable higher wages and job protection for its workers. Wages for auto workers in the United States vary according to the job classification, with the top rate at about $44 an hour. Mexican auto workers earn about $2 an hour. The largest labor federation in the United States, the AFL-CIO, wants Mexico to take action before Congress votes on the new agreement. Richard Trumka is the president of the AFL-CIO. The labor movements want to ensure that trade agreements benefit working people. Uh, this agreement right now, for it to be voted on, would be premature. And here's why. Uh, one of the problems under the old agreement was that Mexico kept their wages artificially low. Uh, in this agreement, they say they have to change their laws, effectively enforce it, and then dedicate resources to it. Until they get that done, uh, this agreement won't be anywhere near ripe for voting on. Uh, if we vote on it before they do that, their incentive to do those things goes away, exactly like it did in Colombia. So we're saying don't vote at all until you put these things in place. And then we still have other problems with enforcement. 
the Mexican government, one, has to change their laws. Then they have to start effectively enforcing them. And then they have to demonstrate that they have the resources necessary to enforce those laws. Because if you can't enforce a trade agreement, it is useless. The second part of enforcement is the agreement as drafted so far actually takes a step backwards when it comes to enforcement. Previously, whenever you had Mexico or the United States had a disagreement, uh, they would first talk to each other. And if they couldn't resolve that dispute, they would put together a group of people called a panel. They were like arbitrators and they would decide the dispute and then it was binding on people. The new agreement says that either party can block the panel. So either party can block the arbitrator and you can never get a decision. That means it's unenforceable. So we need a way for workers to enforce these laws in all three countries so that we can make this agreement work for working people and not just bankers. Labor organizations are working to help 2 million refugees in Lebanese camps find work and receive crucial public services. Seamarie Ainsborough reports. Public Services International, the PSI, and Swedish unions have started a campaign to address a severe humanitarian crisis in Lebanon. The PSI is the global union which represents public employee unions at the world level. It has partnered with a number of Swedish unions to help ensure that more than 2 million refugees in Lebanon have access to quality public services and decent work. The refugees, who have fled from the war in Syria, make up more than 25% of the total number of people living in Lebanon. A major problem is that many people in Lebanon see the refugees as a burden on the Lebanese economy and a drain on public service funding. They see the refugees as competitors driving down wages. And so the PSI and its partner Swedish unions have started a public awareness campaign, arguing that it is important to promote equality and quality public services for all. Here are some of the Swedish labor leaders who are working on the project. Refugee project is focusing on two things. One is to make sure that refugees in camps get access to quality public services, get access to water, to sanitation, to electricity, to schools, to healthcare. But the other part is also to make sure that the workers, people that work in, in refugee camps, also have trade union rights, that they are paid in a sufficient way, that working conditions, so it goes hand in hand to make sure that this works. We really have to focus that this is not about that people are coming to your country trying to steal your job. This is actually people that you are supposed to work with and be solidaric to. That's why you have to involve the trade union here to do capacity building with the members, to increase the knowledge uh, about the situation for the refugees and also to work together in order to create jobs for all and decent jobs for all. I think if we don't start somewhere, this is going to be not just the end for the trade union movement, but also the end of peace in Europe. What's happening in Europe is the rise of right-wing populist movements which attack refugees and their rights. These movements are gaining ground in Germany, Hungary, Italy and France. They are also growing in Sweden. We have a debate back in Sweden that is very much similar to other Western countries at the moment where we have right-wing populist parties trying to set the agenda and to put the groups against each other. 
we have resources in, in, in a lot of our countries that we, we want to distribute well, but they tend to say that uh, the immigrants are the cause of all the problems and, and to simplify reality. But I think what we should always be reminded of is that uh, human rights is for everyone, uh, regardless of borders. Genevieve Gentianos is the PSI's Migration Program Coordinator. PSI has started the project in Lebanon together with Swedish trade unions in order to give a lifeline to those in need. Syrian refugees and the local population are having difficulties accessing health. Many health facilities across the country are dangerously under-resourced and even short of the most basic equipment. There is a great need for a strong public sector to provide the right to health for everyone in Lebanon. This right to health is a shared responsibility. The global community must step up to this. The PSI website is at www.world-psi.org. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of a new wave of arrests of Chinese labor rights advocates, the deaths of rail workers in Mali while on a hunger strike since December, and calls by the International Federation of Journalists for an end to the harassment of journalists in Palestine. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Brazilian truckers and healthcare workers joined teachers in a wage walkout this week. A 185-day sit-down strike at a port in Pakistan ended this week. No word yet on the outcome. A small group of French postal workers marked the start of the second year of their strike over general working conditions and in solidarity with a comrade who was unfairly sacked. Employees of a global retail grocery store chain struck in Guadeloupe in an effort to win enough of a wage increase that they can afford to shop where they work. The people who work at a Spanish winery famous for its cava or sparkling white wine struck over wages this week. Belgian journalists downed mice and keyboards to protest the layoff of some of their co-workers. Croatian shipyard workers welded shut the entrances to their workplace and stopped work after being without pay for almost a year. The strike ended when a dozen shipyard executives were arrested for fraud. The aviation sector in Italy came to an almost complete standstill for four hours on Monday as all Alitalia workers, regardless of union or classification, pushed for a reboot of negotiations. A total of 92 Maquiladora factory strikes have seen a huge number of Mexican workers gain large wage increases so far this year, though the news of these gains was tempered by a large university strike passing the 50-day mark with no wage settlement in sight. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the discriminatory sacking of Japanese flight attendants and the union reaction to the announcement that women rail workers will in future be restricted to jobs their Indian employer thinks appropriate for their gender. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine 
carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the continuing campaign against sexual harassment in the Australian film and television industry. A safety strike by nurses facing violence in Barbados as hospitals and yet more deaths of sewer workers in India. Currently, Labor Start is running four online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with UNION.
that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Amen. It is all about global solidarity. Uh, that was Radio Labor and that nice version of YMCA, U-N-I-O-N, by the Union Nation. We mentioned the 100th anniversary of the Winnipeg General Strike, certainly one of the most important labor actions ever to take place in Canada. And this is what the, gen the Winnipeg General Strike was all about. The Winnipeg General Strike. The Winnipeg General Strike was a major strike that happened with labor workers in 1919. About 30,000 workers left their jobs and homes to protest against the government. Labor workers who struck risked their jobs and freedoms just to fight for their rights that the government wasn't giving them. It is said that the strike is one of the most significant strikes in Canadian history. Strike or star. After World War I, many veterans expected to return back to their old jobs. However, they were shocked to see that many immigrants had taken over their old jobs. Sure, you get immigrants to come in and do the work while the war is on. This fact dramatically increased the unemployment rate. The government at the time didn't care too much since they were still making money. Even the people who did have jobs were not happy. One reason is that they were making so little money. The minimum wage at the time was less than 85 cents an hour. Working conditions were also quite abysmal. Personally, the workers were forced to work long hours out in the hot sun. There was also no money invested to help keep the workers themselves safe. The problem was that before this time, the government invested most of its money into World War I. The labor workers were understanding during the war, but were disappointed with the lack of change afterwards, as here in the U.S. After many failed negotiations with politicians, laborers had had enough. Many union leaders along with the unemployed veterans, met up at the Capitol. This is where all of the union leaders and veterans formed one big union. The one big union felt that together they were much stronger than before. During the meeting, the one big union discussed the possibility of strike. After more failed negotiations, the Winnipeg Labor Council called a strike. On May 1st, 1919, over 30,000 workers left their jobs and began the protest. 
These workers included policemen, construction workers, metal workers, and more. The strikers were led by groups of union leaders called the Central Strike Committee. Along with the strikers, there was a group of people who opposed the strike called the Citizens Committee. Comprised of rich politicians, businessmen, the Citizens Committee never listened to the strikers. Eventually, the federal government also got involved and tried to stop the strike. They were scared that similar strikes may start across Canada. One of the most violent parts of the strike occurred at the end. This is known as Bloody Saturday. This demonstration became violent when strikers derailed a streetcar. The RCMP was called in and a large battle began. By the end, two people had died, 27 became injured, and 94 people were arrested. After Bloody Saturday, the federal government officially made the strike illegal. Winnipeg General Strike officially finished on June 26, 1919. Immediately after the strike, many more strikers were arrested. For the next three decades, a lot of smaller strikes happened related to the issue. Finally, after 30 years, brand new laws were made. Workers received much more money than before. The law made it mandatory for the work to be safer and cleaner. Workers earned the right to bargain with the people in charge. The Winnipeg General Strike was a launching point which led to these new laws. Without the strike, it is possible that labor workers are tractors. Independent contractors where you get paid a certain amount, flat amount for doing the job. And uh, you're independent in the sense that they don't have to pay for any benefits or go out of their way. A lot of the responsibility for those things is transferred to you. And so you end up driving all day and making not much money. Uh, the fact is that even though they're deemed independent contractors, Uber and Lyft exercise great control over their work days. In other words, they're not independent contractors in truth. We don't want to continue this farce, said Lorena Fletcher, assemblywoman. We don't want to continue this farce of large businesses declaring their people independent contractors. These workers miss out on all the benefits of being employees. Classifying workers as contractors rather than employees means companies are not legally required to abide by minimum wage or overtime laws or contribute to unemployment insurance or workers' compensation. 
In its recent IPO filing, Lyft told prospective investors that being forced to classify drivers as employees may require us to significantly alter our existing business model and warned of potential monetary exposure. Okay. So, what are you in fact? In fact, you're an employee, but they want to call you an independent contractor so they don't have to pay any benefits. Hmm. Okay, well, it's about time for us to get out of here. This is the B, and uh, this is the Labor and Love Show on Mutiny Radio, Mutiny Radio at 2781 21st Street, where so many things are going on. Not the least is this radio station. We have constant art installations. We have comedy shows where you can come and test your licks and have a, an audience criticizing you positively, trying to get your, your licks better. Uh, come on down to Mutiny. It's happening here. We have a whole plethora, a plethora, how do you like that, of uh, podcasts, radio shows slash podcasts. So you can fit in. You can have your own voice. And uh, here on Labor and Love, we tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table where you work, the negotiating table that is, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Okay, everybody. Um, have a good week and good work. Good labor and good love is your birthright.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryan. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is Darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF.
Welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Bender's brings you face melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, punk rock and schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Navoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. All so, on my limited view. Yes. Every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. And Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God. There's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes. You can also find us on social media. M as in Mary. L as in Larry. P as in Peter podcast mov podcast is our handle until next time i hope you're enjoying your view yes bye bye that, that kind of sucked balls good evening there my friends here at mutinyradio.fm chester cashcock here and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there and uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for me Five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be 
Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Mutiny Radio listener, it's that time of year again. March 1st through 5th, it's time for the 4th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, 5 days, all here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, 5 days, amazing comics from all over the United States here in San Francisco to entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians, bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer and Subliminal SF. Thank you. 